HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wides, and this is Heritage Radio Network. So I just want you all to know that I have a lot going on in my life right now. I'm a I'm a busy little gal, okay? I have a lot to do during the course of a week. It's not just about writing and producing this show and running twelve foodiness at re-education camps around the planet and maintaining the foodiness time machine and ready to leave at a moment's notice, and keeping the foodiness fallout shelter stocked, and managing the reservations hotline for the fallout shelter, which is open 24 hours a day until Friday, by the way. Nope, it's not just all that. I also have a full-time job. I mean, who says you can't have it all, right? Now, as I may have mentioned before on the show, I teach at a culinary school in Manhattan, and I can't say the name, though um, they don't really want to be associated with me. But I'm sure you know where. I'm sure you can figure it out. So anyway, yeah, five days a week, sometimes six, sometimes seven, I'm there teaching wannabe chefs how to cook or chefing parties for corporate groups or running recreational classes for people who actually do want to cook, oddly. And it's a really good gig. I've been there for 14 years. Um, so something about it works for me. I like it. Most of the time they like me good. Now, if you know any chefs, if you ever met any chefs, you may have learned that we tend to be a very thrifty bunch. We hate waste. Waste to a chef is lost money. A half an onion thrown in the trash is legal tender down the toilet for us. Or at least it is to me, but most chefs. I mean, for me, growing up with 
Holocaust survivor mother and a pathologically cheap father kind of made me into a, a thriftaholic. I hate waste. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know I hate waste. So being a chef was actually a pretty good career choice for me because in restaurants, you try to never waste anything. And I'm actually really good at that. But in a culinary school, things are different. We don't really have a restaurant where we can pipeline all our scraps and leftover prep from our kitchens, from our knife skills lessons, or use our cut-up meat and fish from our fabrication classes. We don't have that kind of end-user place. So a lot of it we send to City Harvest, and some of it we reuse internally, and unfortunately, a lot of it gets thrown out, which is heartbreaking. Shelters and soup kitchens in the city won't take prepared food because they say it's a liability risk. Apparently, it's better for someone to starve to death on the street than to eat a piece of chicken that's been handled before. That's life in Bloomberg's New York. And don't even think about giving that homeless person anything larger than a 20-ounce beverage. A 40-ounce of Old English, on the other hand, that's okay. So my colleagues and I coming from the restaurant world. We try to be thrifty. We try to save stuff when we can to use it up in ways that that we can show our students how it's really done in the industry. Make it a teachable moment for them. And and then some of it we just take home ourselves and and use. Like, you know, if my class washes and cuts up a couple of bunches of kale and then they don't use it all, I can't send it back to the storeroom. So I just take it home with me. And it's actually worked out pretty well. With the money that I've saved on groceries over the year, I've actually been able to build three more foodiness re-education camps in India. Now that they're the new emerging super economy, they're going to need me. And I'm also actually outsourcing Let's Get Real's customer care call center to India. So now instead of having an angry redneck in Texas who can barely speak English take your calls, you'll have an Oxford-educated PhD in electrical engineering and quantum physics who speaks perfect English pick up the phone and care about you. And it only costs me $2 a day. Talk about thrift. I heart the global economy. So one of my colleagues, who shall remain nameless, but let's call him Chef Chris, because that's his name. He goes a little beyond thrift. Chef Chris is what you'd call a hoarder, like a clinically and fully diagnosed reality show on TLC hoarder. He's never really moved beyond his restaurant thrifty chef phase and into his teacher phase. Even though he's been teaching with us for like seven years now, Chef Chris hoards. He knows he hoards. He's okay with it. Now, if any listeners out there or any former students feel that I'm like bullying him by calling him a hoarder, let's just say he suffers from compulsively over-collecting tons of useless shit disorder. That is a diagnosable disorder and that's covered by Obamacare. For example, he convinced the school to buy him two huge extra chest freezers to fill with his stuff, his salvage stuff. Now, they think he's great because they think he's saving the school so much money. We think he's pathological. You open one of his freezers and you see bags full of bread crusts and shrimp shells and half moldy strawberries and duck bones, which is all great stuff that you can use in a restaurant where you can always find a use for it in a soup or in a stock or run it as a special, but here at school, not so much. And following standard kitchen protocol, all of it is labeled and dated. Now that's how you do it in a restaurant and there. You wrap something up if you're saving it. 
you put your name on it, and you post-date it to a date far enough in the future so that nobody will just toss it out. Now, I usually put a date that's like a month or two ahead on my stuff. That way I know I have to use it up sooner than later. That's what cheap people do, thrifty people. Hoarders keep it forever. So for years now, I mean years, Chef Chris has been post-dating all his stuff with the date 12-12-12, which for so long seemed far, so, so far off in the future that it was, it was funny. We used to all laugh about how when the day came, when December 12, 2012 came along, we were going to rent a city dump truck and back it up to the loading dock and clear out all the fridges and freezers in the entire school of anything marked 12-12-12 and take it over to Fresh Kills Landfill on Staten Island and dump it or just dump it anywhere on Staten Island because... You know, who would know the difference? It was going to be our little revenge against Chef Chris and his hoarding, his monopoly over storage space, our own little version of culinary school instructor storage wars. Storage space emancipation day was coming and we couldn't wait. And then about six weeks before that actual day, along came Sandy. And Sandy knocked out all the power in Manhattan in the school's neighborhood for five days and all those fridges and freezers and all the walk-ins in in our storage area were down for five days and everything spoiled and everything melted and everything died and rotted not just chef chris's prehistoric bread crusts and pre-cambrian shrimp heads but all our meat and fish and produce and dairy and everything that had been in our purchasing department's walk-ins and freezers everything and it all had to be thrown out So whoever could get to school in those couple days after the power came back on, came in, and they started throwing out. And out went Chef Chris's shrimp heads and duck necks and half bags of frozen peas and everything else that he had marked 12-12-12. But this was on 11-05-12. So we had our victory in the Chef Chris battle, but we lost the war, too. And since then, he's managed to fill all his freezers right back up again in record time in anticipation of the next apocalypse, given that Romney lost, so it did get pushed back. As I say the next apocalypse, because for some reason in my head, I thought the reason he was using that date, December 12th, 2012, was because in my mind, that's when the Mayan calendar had said that the world was going to end. I could have sworn that 12-12-12 was going to be the date of the end of days. I thought that Chef Chris since he's married to a Mexican woman, was using that date because he had insider information. I mean, doesn't it make sense to use 12-12-12? Isn't it more poetic than 12-21-12? I mean, it's not as perfect as like 06-06-06. But that said, I don't think they ever schedule Armageddon's during warm months. I think it's because the end of the days kind of gets in the way of summer vacation plans. It's not as dramatic if everyone's out of town when the world ends. And what can I say? I mean, as a Jew, it's hard for us to keep track of these constantly changing end of days dates because for us, every day is the end of days. We have kind of a doom and gloom mentality as a people. So after the storm, when we finally got back up and running and classes resumed, I was explaining to my class what had been involved in getting the school back up to working order for them. And I was joking with them about our foiled plan to dump all of Chef Chris's hoarded stuff when the 12th came, the end of the world, meaning the freeing up of storage space, and how the storm beat us to it. And they were all like, uh, Chef, 
Um, you have the wrong date. What? I said December 12th, 2012, right? Uh, no, chef. It's December 21st, 2012. That's the end of the world. Are you sure? I said, uh, yeah, chef. It's the 12th. Damn it! I had it wrong all along. Now, I tried to say that maybe I was dyslexic and I had just read the numbers backwards, but it turns out I was just wrong. And that's happened before. It's okay. It's like when I thought that shoulder pads were timeless. I'm okay with it. But now, December 21st is really upon us. And this really could be the end. Now, last spring on June 5th, to be exact, I did a show here called The End is Near, What's for Dinner? Wherein I discussed the coming apocalypse with a good six-month safety cushion built in to include a president-elect Romney. It was right after the failure of the rapture prediction, which was supposed to happen in May, but turned out to be like a math error or a calendar error or a misprint or something like that. Maybe they were also fake dyslexics like me, too. Or again, maybe it had to do with the fact that nobody wants an apocalypse while you're at the beach. It's like when Chris, Chris Nutter, my co-producer, not Chef Chris, took his first vacation since 2004 on Fire Island that week. And then Hurricane Irene came and he had to evacuate after one day on the beach. And in that episode the end is near what's for dinner, I discussed the skills that you might need in order to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. That is, if you survive the apocalypse itself. Now, we don't know what form the apocalypse will actually take. Could be fire or flood, aliens, North Koreans, toddlers in tiaras, that large hadron collider in Switzerland creating a black hole that sucks up the whole earth. Jesus could come back. Mohammed could come down. Paul Ryan could beat Hillary Clinton in 2016. But let's just assume that if it happens, you survive. Maybe because you were a good listener and you booked a discounted early spot in the foodiness fallout shelter, which is protected from all of the above thanks to its space-age carbon fiber shell made by Boeing. So let's say you're on the list for the foodiness fallout shelter. You made your early discounted reservation. You got a spot. You made it through. But now you're being kicked out because you didn't want to pay for the lifetime plan just the short-term care plan, and now you're on your own, my friend. By the way, Obamacare doesn't cover fallout shelters yet, but the Let's Get Real lobbying team down in D.C. is working on it steadily. And if you listened to that episode back in June, which you can always do here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org or on Let'sGetRealShow.com or on iTunes anytime you want, even after Friday, because the server for Let's Get Real Show is a solar-powered server that I built in Death Valley when nobody was looking, I discuss the various survival skills that I can bring to the Armageddon table, so to speak, like butchering animals and growing food and raising bees and cooking, and the knitting and sewing and other fiber skills of my BFF, Lisa Weissman, and the building and inventing schools of our respective spouses. And, of course, sarcasm and irony, which you know are going to be very much in demand in the post-apocalyptic world. We will be fine, fed and clothed and sheltered, because as my BFF, she gets a lifetime luxury sleeper seat in the fallout shelter, and she has good insurance, namely being friends with me. 
But probably the most important thing I pointed out in that first Armageddon episode was that living on foodiness planet and trusting so deeply in the foodiness gods and worshiping foodiness manufacturing has removed us so far from the source of our food that we understand as much about where our food comes from now and how it's produced as we understand things like how our cell phone works or how you can rewind TV or how Susan Lucci never looks a day over 35. Actually, we probably know more about how Susan Lucci never looks a day over 35 than we know about where our food comes from. We understand Botox, facelifts, Photoshop, lipo, and lighting. We know how the queen of daytime never seems to age because that's what we care about. But who really cares about food and where it comes from besides me and a few other freaky real food nuts? Frankly, for most people, it's not as interesting or as necessary. Foodiness takes care of what you eat for you so you don't have to know how it came to be. But Obamacare doesn't take care of your cosmetic procedures yet. Again, our lobbyists are hard at work on that one. So then along comes Sandy. And unfortunately for a lot of people, it really was apocalyptic. A lot of people died. A lot of people lost their homes, all their possessions. It was a terrible tragedy. Where I live in Brooklyn, though, it was like nothing happened. But only a couple blocks away from us, it was a total disaster. That's what was so strange about it. And for millions of Manhattanites, the most entitled and self-involved people this side of L.A., it was truly the apocalypse. When half of Manhattan lost their power, it seemed like it was actually going to be the true end of things. I thought that maybe this was really it. The most concentrated urban environment in North America with no power, water, transit, or heat, and even worse, with no lattes, Chinese takeout, or Jamba Juice. 12-12-12, or... 12 21 12 sorry six weeks early but just in time for chris christie to hand the election over to obama so sandy wasn't all that bad now we've had blackouts before in new york i mean i'm old enough i remember the blackout of 77 and i remember the one in 2003 but this was a serious blackout and by blackout i don't mean the kind you get when you decide to do shots with your girlfriends at 3 a.m after you've already been out drinking for six hours and you're basically so blacked out that you could date rape yourself With no power and no transit system and no gas, the food distribution system started to break down pretty fast. Now, as I said, I was just sitting out in Brooklyn, cooking, running, watching movies on Netflix. We went food shopping before and after the storm in case of a total citywide food shortage, but things in my neighborhood were just fine. The only flooding my neighborhood saw came from the frat boys streaming into the Barclays Center to see gangster rap shows and Nets games. Chris... On the other hand, now just to clarify, this is Chris Nutter, my co-producer, not Chef Chris the Hoarder, who was also a Nutter, but in a totally different way. Now, Chris, who lives in Chelsea, suffered through it all with his fellow formerly smug Manhattanites who reside below 24th Street or wherever the power line happened to fall that week. Chris claims that his corner deli was price gouging him, that he went in to buy a pound of sliced deli ham and they charged him $45 for it. Now, I think Chris may have tapped into his emergency weed supply a little too deeply that week in order to cope, but he's probably pretty accurate on this one. He says this particular deli also gouged him in the blackout of 03, and that he'll take a gouging deli over a closed mega Rite Aid, because that's what real neighbors do during crises. When the shit hits the fan, they fuck each other over. 
Now, he had stocked up on all sorts of foodiness in anticipation of the shortages, like power bars and canned tuna, all the things that he used to eat before he went through foodiness re-education, and now he knows not to eat because only the wrong kind of people think power bars and canned tuna are good for you. In this particular crisis, though, he had a major regression in his re-education progress, but it was an emergency situation, so we're letting it slide. The point was that he was still eating protein bars and canned tuna, but he knew better. So he was still the right kind of people, even in an apocalypse. There's an elementary school across the street from his apartment in Chelsea, and out in the playground, there's a chicken coop. And sometimes we sit and watch the chickens in the pen from across the street from his window. He said by the end of that week, he was seriously eyeing those chickens, and he knew that a few more days of no power, and they'd be someone's dinner, so why not his? And that was just a little taste of what a true breakdown of the food system would be like. Local business owners he'd known since 1996, charging him $45 for a little ham and contemplating scaling the fence by the playground and stealing live chickens from children. But the point is, he still managed to put on his extremely expensive anti-aging skin treatment cream every night before bed. Because according to Chris, just because it's the apocalypse doesn't mean you shouldn't look your best. So imagine what will happen when it really happens. You're going to have to walk a lot further than Midtown to get your soy latte and charge your phone. We're going to talk about that some more right after this very short break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Jerome LOL. This one's called Dusk on the Heritage Radio Network.org. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and this is the Heritage Radio Network. Remember that you should become a member of Heritage Radio Network. It's simple and easy and painless, and you should do it because you listen, so you should be a member. Remember also that you can listen to all the Heritage Radio shows ever made on heritageradionetwork.org, or on iTunes. They're all there. And you should also visit daily letsgetrealshow.com where you can read my vlog and look at my video and you can follow me on Facebook and you can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show at least for the next three days until the world ends. But I think that Twitter will continue to exist post-apocalypse because Twitter is that powerful. The point here is Armageddon's coming and if you're not prepared, you're going to starve. That is if you survive. Now, I think most New Yorkers actually will survive, especially the Jews, because being the chosen people and all, I think this will finally be our moment. After 6,000 years of oppression, I think we're due for a big break. Running Hollywood and all the banks and all that notwithstanding, I think it's, it's our moment. It's time. Now, I've been trying to teach you how to survive for over a year now, ever since Let's Get Real hit the airwaves, and I hope you've been listening. 
Even though the U.S. government has officially taken an anti-Armageddon position on the official USA.gov website, stating that it's not going to happen, these are also the same people who have told us that we actually landed men on the moon, that the planet is getting warmer, and that ducking under your desk will protect you in the event of a nuclear attack. So who are you going to believe, them or me? Now, if it happens, I'd like to think that I'm not saying Armageddon's all that bad. I mean, you don't have to pay back your student loans. You don't have to go to work. You can loot all you want, and you won't be caught on camera. You can have noisy parties and not worry about that neighbor who always calls the police because A, you ate him, and B, there's no more police. You won't have to entertain fantasies of mass-murdering tourists like Chris always wants to do because A, they were all eaten, being obese and easy targets, and B, they can't get around anymore because there's no power to charge their mobility scooters with. Or you can work as a nanny, sorry, or if you work as a nanny who hates your boss, mommy, and your baby, and your job, you can just abandon that kid or eat him too. Just think of Armageddon as just a really debauched party. Only instead of waking up with a horrific hangover, you die at the end. And let's face it, Sometimes that's the better choice, especially when you look over and see who you woke up with. And it's not just the collapse of the food system itself. It's the collapse of the matrix altogether and our total inability to operate without being told what to do and where to go at all times. Because when the internet and all your devices shut down, you won't be able to go anywhere because you don't have an app to tell you how. You can't speak to anyone around you anymore because you don't know how to communicate or socialize or make friends in person And you can't even get laid and repopulate the planet because you don't know how to hook up in real time anymore either. So what can you do? Well, chances are you'll starve if you don't die from radiation poisoning first or aren't herded into cages by aliens for use in scientific experiments or if some enraged ex-boyfriend decides to knock you out first. So to sum up what I've advised before, to have any kind of chance of survival, you're going to have to get used to eating people. That's pretty much the only food that'll be left. Also, this might be the time a giant closet full of Costco-sized Raisin Bran might just keep you alive for a few more weeks. So the fact that foodiness never goes bad might actually be somewhat useful. I mean, who cares if you eat shit if it means a few more weeks in hell? But since this is a show about finding, preparing, and eating food, let's get to some concrete, pragmatic advice. Remember all those smugster roof garden urban hipsters that were colonizing the city's tar beaches all summer? Well, it might be time to become one of those. Why? Because those roof gardens and beards and dirty clothes will be de-ironized. Not de-ionized, like the machine you had in your apartment to de-ionize the air of your neighbor's cigarette smoke before you ate her, but de-ironized, as in the irony removed, as in after the apocalypse, They won't be much room for irony, which is actually very sad and potentially bad news for hipsters in a Darwinian sense. But if you de-ironize the urban rooftop garden growing hipster, you might actually have a real survival skill or two on your hands. In a de-ironized post-apocalyptic world, you really will be dirty and unshaven and really eating tomatoes from the garden that you were growing before just to Instagram about. Now you're deciding whether to hide that food stash from your girlfriend or kill her and eat her as the main dish with your rooftop tomatoes as a side salad and use her hair as fertilizer. In the post-ironic world, just being witty and clever and hashtagging everything isn't going to cut it. 
you'll actually need tools to cut it or to cut with. Learn to sharpen a knife, for God's sakes. Look on YouTube. Watch my about.com videos about carving turkeys. Do something. Think about that chapter in Cloud Atlas that takes place in Hawaii in the future. In fact, read Cloud Atlas before it's too late. And buy a hardback copy because you can't use a Kindle to keep the fire going. Get it? For most New Yorkers, there's virtually no difference between a pigeon and a rat. In fact, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. Here's some helpful advice. Eat the pigeons first. Rats reproduce extremely super fast, and we'll need them for future food when the pigeons and the squirrels are gone. In fact, I'm going to make rats a protected species in the new post-apocalyptic city government when I get to be a legislator. Rats will be the pandas of the future, protected and nurtured in order to repopulate themselves. Then, when the numbers are right, we're going to go in and kill them all. I mean, the Chinese will have eaten all of their pandas probably within the first few weeks of Armageddon, right after they get through eating all their girl babies. Just saying. Now, I hope you'll listen to me because it is getting late. Today is the 18th. You only have a few days left. Put down that device and stop staring at that screen. Well, not until you're through listening to this show tonight and updating how much you love the show and retweeting my Armageddon tweets and friending me and following me and then stop staring at the screen. Go and introduce yourself to your neighbor tonight so that at least you'll know who you're eating. And if you get queasy at the thought of eating your neighbor, just think of it as a post-apocalyptic defriending. Remember that you'll be a lot easier to catch and eat if you're looking down at your blank screen in disbelief when you're crossing the street and the big bang comes. So practice now. Cross the street while looking up. Keep the device in your pocket. Train yourself. Your survival depends on it. I'm only trying to help you. Now, the Foodiness Fallout Shelter still has a few spots left for Friday night's big event, and our 24-hour reservation line is open. Call 1-800-SAVE-ME and ask for the Gold Star Listener discount. Remember that these are non-refundable reservations. Regardless of what happens on Friday, these tickets are final sale. You can, however, apply the reservation to a later date, like election night 2016. If you reserve now and you can quote verbatim from an episode of Let's Get Real, we will be offering you our gold level membership, which also includes a glycolic peel after the first week inside the shelter, because by that time, your skin is not going to look so great being locked in away from the sun all that time. And if you call now and you can quote not only from Let's Get Real, but from Little House on the Prairie, then you qualify for our platinum level seating where you can have cocktails with Chris and Erica every night for the first week or until the Svedka runs out. And if you book a premium suite in the Foodiness Fallout Shelter, which includes a double bed and a shower, you also will receive an extra ration of beans every day which you'll probably want more than a glycolic peel or a drink after the first few days. Now, there's still time to call. It's only Tuesday. Adam is finishing up construction right now on the Foodiness Fallout Shelter Annex, so we have a whole new block of rooms available. Remember, call 1-800-SAVE-ME and ask for Ravi. We accept Amex, Obamacare, and PayPal. Do you want to die in the apocalypse? Do you want to eat shit? If not, call now. Operators with PhDs qualified to work on the Large Hadron Collider are standing by. So if you don't want to eat shit and you do want to survive after the apocalypse, keep listening to Let's Get Real.
the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. Hopefully, I'll be seeing you next week. If not, it's been a pleasure. Good luck in the afterlife, and I'll be seeing you there. Good night. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.